Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whoever you are, whoever you're listening or watching. This is a chat about football and I'm Joel. And today we're doing a, a Southampton special. We're doing a chat about Southampton today. And I don't think I could have got many better guests for this one. We've got a Southampton boy born and bred in the city. We've got one who's been a Southampton fan for over 40 years. We did a little segment called 15 Minute Fan Time for the first bit of this episode. So if you haven't listened to it, go please go listen to it now. Because we've been blessed with the Saints expertise of um, an in-ground, in-ground analyst at Southampton and someone who's worked and commentated on for commented on them for many years. But without further ado, I've got Chris Hutchings with me today. How are you doing, Chris? You right? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Joe. Ah, oh, great to hear. Great to hear. Um, how how are things? How you been keeping? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, tricky times, of course, for everyone. But um, yeah. yeah, keeping well and um, enjoying the football as much as we can at the moment. Oh, glad to hear. I'm, I'm glad that you're enjoying the football because this episode has been recorded not long after the North London derby. Uh, we did a North London derby special on Friday. Um, Saturday is when I released it. Sunday, I saw Arsenal let me down and see Tottenham win. So um, we, the show must go on. And Absolutely. I feel like part of the pain and doing this is sort of being therapeutic is talking about other teams. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to talk about the, the mighty Saints. So... I've got Chris here with me, and we're going to have a look at Southampton season, have a look at how they've gone, how to look at their, their past few years as well, and also um, take a look forward as to sort of their big game against uh, Manchester United tomorrow. But before we get into the episode, I want to do a bit of admin. Um, if you guys like what you listen to today, we are, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and you can find the name A Chat About Football Podcast. That's the exact name that the podcast goes under. And we are on Twitter and Instagram at ACAF underscore podcast. And we will be on YouTube in the next week or two. If you look at our social media channels, we'll update you as to when we'll be on YouTube. But until then, listen to us on all your streaming platforms. If you like what you hear, like, share, retweet, spread the word about a chat about football. And we'll, we'll be very appreciative of all the help we can get to grow the podcast and continue to do our thing. But enough of the boring admin stuff. We've got Chris here with us. So... I want to talk to you about how you found Southampton's form after the restart. Well, Southampton flew back in, Joe, with a um, really good win away at Norwich, although um, a lot of people wouldn't sum that up as a, a tricky win, the way that Norwich had really stumbled into relegation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a good win kind of set up a lot of uh, optimism with Southampton fans, um, brought back down to earth a little bit with a 2-0 um, home defeat against Arsenal. Yeah. But then two more wins and a draw after that been a really strong showing from Southampton. I think looking at the, the post-lockdown table, um, Southampton sort of in the top seven or so. So, um, yeah, pretty strong showing and pretty quickly put away any outside fears of relegation out of the Definitely. way. I feel like Southampton are putting some very good performances. I feel like the Arsenal performance is a bit of a blip, but I feel like especially if there's one result that catches the eye was that Man City game. So I wanted to ask you, what was your prevailing emotion before that game? Was it something that you thought you could take points from or was it a bit uh, up in the air? Well, if you look at Man City and what they've done um, before that game and after that game, they've they've been smashing goals in left, right and centre. Yeah. You know, they've been unstoppable. Um, but the thing that's come through with uh, Ralph Hasenhutl um, especially since the uh, the early part of the season when Southampton had a, a bit of a stuttering start, is that he's really organised his teams well yeah. um, and got a fairly settled uh, eleven. His formation is kind of four two 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 that he likes to um, put out, 
And it was a, a game, I'm privileged to be at the game, the Man City game. It just felt one of those games when rather than thinking that Southampton were inevitably <clears throat> going to concede a goal at some point, you just felt like every shot was going to be blocked by someone or something at that point. And it yeah. was one of the most um, incredible defensive displays that I've seen for a long, long time. Yeah, and we haven't even gotten to Che Adams' wonder goal, that 39-yard strike as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I'm guessing you, as sort of working the ground, tell me, please, I'm, I'm sure you must have sort of had a reaction after seeing that goal go in, or were you stone-faced? Um, yeah, I, I was actually, if I think about where I am in the ground, yeah. um, I've been switched across the ground, so I'm just next to the TV gantry. So I've got the same view as the, uh, the TV viewers now. Um, and I'm about, I worked out I'm about 40 yards from goal. Yeah. Uh, so I was in line with Che Adams as he hit the shot. And my first thought was it was going to bounce over the crossbar. Yeah. So I should have had a little bit more faith as it bounced into the other <laughs> net. Um, yeah, it was incredible. For, for a player who's played, who's uh, been in and out of the side this season, hadn't yeah. got a goal for his new club, a lot of pressure building up because, you know, young player, big fee from a, straight in from a championship club yeah. to come up with that sort of composure to beat a world-class goalkeeper from 39 yards was um, a really special moment. I think that says a lot about his temperament. He's yeah. obviously stuck at it. Ralph has, has um, stuck with him as well. And um, you could see by the reaction of the players, I'm sure everyone who was watching on TV as well would have seen the reaction of the players, the way they uh, rushed over to congratulate him, yeah. how much that was deserved, that goal after the hard work he's put in through the season. Oh, definitely, yeah. I think Jay Adams has been unlucky. I've seen a few performances look very bright as well. And he has been a very, very good talent. So to see him get that goal and have his sort of reward for all the endeavour he's put in the season has been sort of really been great as well. And I know that you mentioned that defence as well. Um, has that been, uh, like you said, a feature of um, Harsen Hill? Is that something distinctly that you know that he focuses on defence? Or is it something where it was just a happy accident where Jack Stevens blocked every shot on, uh, uh, that last Sunday and... McCarthy saved every shot on last Sunday, so was it a happy accident? Well, I kind of think back, I, I can't help but think back as every Southampton fan and, and many people who've watched the Premier League this season and think back to the, the last Friday in September yeah. when we um, narrowly lost 9-0 at home to Leicester. <laughs> narrowly. <laughs> uh, yeah, in a game where uh, Ryan Bertram was sent off within the first 15, 20 minutes of that game. Yeah. Uh, Hassan Hootel made all sorts of changes um, playing players out of position. I think Jack Stevens went to right back at one point. Uh, Jan Valerie went to uh, right wing at one point as well. Yeah. Um, and at that stage, you had people like uh, Yannick Vestergaard who'd come in for a fair bit of money from uh, Munchen Gladbach in the summer. He, I think he was still trying to find his way of how to organise the team. It was almost like he was shocked into getting things absolutely spot on. Um, and that, that back four that he's now settled on, um, Valerie played against Norwich and Arsenal had a poor game against Arsenal, looked a little bit shell-shocked against Arsenal. They, they were really um, running hard at him. But I think Carl Walker-Peters has suddenly come to the fore. He's come into some real form on loan from Tottenham. Yeah. Um, Jack Stevens and Bednarek have been the preferred two in central defence for some time now. I say some time, but you know, looking back into the early part of 2020, um, that helps partnerships in positions like uh, central defence, central midfield, you know, up front are always good if they can build a partnership. Yeah. Ryan Bertrand is Ryan Bertrand. He's dependable, you know, and um, again, he's coming to some form. And McCarthy behind him is edged ahead of um, Angus Gunn. So I think that back five, Ralph has stuck with it. They've obviously done a lot of work on the training ground and organised themselves. And 
if anyone was out of position, they were covered. You know, there was someone covering their back. So um, it's it's been a lot of hard work. I know from a lot of reports that Hasenhut will put a lot of work in through lockdown. There was no respite for the players in terms of the type of um, information he was feeding through to them and the type of um, kind of lockdown fitness regimes and and plans that they had to go through to keep on top of things. And it really showed when they came back against Norwich. And I think the the cherry on the cake really was that Man City performance. And um, what they didn't do, they didn't overpress in that game. I think you yeah. can overpress. You can try and overpress City. You can't. You're not going to outplay them. You're not going to outpass them. They're going to. They're going to have a million more passes than you in a game. That's yeah. the gimme, really. But Southampton pressed when they were forward. If they're a little bit deeper, they sat back and said, okay, you can play in your own half, but you're not going to play in our half. Yeah. You play that really well. And when, when they brought on the gun, the big guns, the De Bruyne's, Foden came on, the movement was fantastic for Manchester City. But Southampton just organised them well. Two banks of four. Um, the forwards coming back as well and helping out. It, how many times do you see Danny Ings clear from corners this season? Kind of sums that up. Yeah. And um, just a brilliantly organised defensive um, regime. And a lot of credit, I think, will go to Hassan Hootel for after coming through that Leicester defeat. The board sticking with him, surprisingly. Not many managers would have kept their job after that sort of result. And he's had the time now to work on it. They've let him work on it and the players go on with it. And um, it's really starting to come through now. Yeah, I think it's been it's been great, really. And uh, it's, it's funny because that Man City result, we're talking an awful lot about the Man City result, but I think... Um, the reason why it, it stood out for me is because Southampton, as I'm sure you would know, have been worked at the gra- or working at the ground. Their, their, their home form was quite poetry, really. I think um, to date they've got 17 points from their home games, which is um, one of the fewest, sort of lowest records in the Premier League as well. Uh, do you reckon, it's funny, like you mentioned about the pressing style, do you reckon that's a factor in why they might sort of have that um, terrible home form? Because maybe their style of play is more suited to away games where they might see less of the ball, so they have to press to win it back and then maybe hit on the counter-attack, whereas maybe at home they have to dictate, dictate play a bit more so it's more <laughs> difficult to, to get on the bo- uh, top foot, really. Um, so get on the upper hand, yeah? Yeah, I think most home fans, not just for Southampton, but for any, um, any club turn up expecting their team to take the game to the opposition, um, and that puts the pressure on Southampton. And I think you're right there, that pressing style does lend itself when you go away um, to try and keep, stop teams from, um, from playing and stop them dictating the game. And, the, and the, the record shows that with the away form, which is incredible. It's amazing away form, the yeah. amount of wins they've got. I, think, I don't think they've ever won so many away games in a, a Premier League season. Wow. So um, it's been interesting. I think it was a lot of um, interesting how they were going to play without a home crowd. Um, and they've really, well, they've lost one and they've won one at home. So um, difficult to read into that. But to beat Manchester City shows a lot about how they performed in front of a home crowd. Um, part of me thinks that, you know, a crowd with their team on top against Manchester City would have spurred them on even more. And, you know, you can only imagine the amount of uh, the kind of chaos that would be going on amongst the crowd with those all those defensive blocks going in near the end of the game. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. And I reckon... That um, Hassan Hurtle, as he, you know, his attention to detail, you know, is unparalleled uh, from what I've heard, and I'm sure he's looked into the fact that telling those players there is there isn't the pressure from the crowd, there isn't the backing from the crowd, but there isn't the pressure from the crowd, 
so you can go out and you know do your thing out there and, and put it in yeah. without the pressure of feeling there's going to be some backlash if things do go wrong. So um, I think to come back from the Arsenal defeat, you know, McCarthy in goal had a brilliant game against Manchester City after making a horrendous mistake against Arsenal. So I think that shows a lot about the faith from the manager for one. And also he didn't have any pressure from a, um, you know, a crowd behind him, either the home supporters getting on his back or even more so the away supporters getting on his back from the other end to stick about his previous game. So, um, yeah, I think I I do think it's the organisation of the manager. Um, it's a culmination of the the faith that the board have put in him, and the players can obviously see that this guy has got something, and that is paying off now. Um, the proof of the pudding will be next season, hopefully sooner rather than later, when the crowds come back in. Uh, there's a lot of really positive press and a lot of positive um, stuff on social media from Southampton fans about the job that Hassan was doing and about the way the players have bonded, you know, as a group now. And hopefully that will turn the mood when people do start coming back in St Mary's. Yeah, definitely. And I think it helps as well that Hassan Hoot will sign a new contract as well at Southampton. Is that something that the fans have really sort of taken to as well? Is it something where maybe after a few years of upheaval that to see a manager that they can really sort of trust again? Are you, do you feel like you, your guys are sort of back on the way up or is it a slow, gradual process still? Um, I just think it, that contract, I mean, contracts, so, you know, they're not cast in stone in football. You know, a contract can be broken. Someone can come and buy you out your contract. My, kind of money talks in this game. But um, I think it does say a lot. A four-year contract, it's clear that he is a manager who wants to build a project um, at the club from top to bottom. Um, I see a little bit of that when I, I see quite a lot of the under-18 games as well. And he turns up at some of those games. Yeah. That says a lot about a manager who wants to see the the 16, 17-year-olds playing who might be going into the 23s and then him pulling them through into the first team. Um, so, yeah, I think he's he's a manager who's all in and the board have backed him on that with the contract and it's starting to feel like the tide is turning with the fans saying, OK, this guy is in for the lot, looking to be in for the long run. We are with him as well. And as you say, you know, going through... Um, well, Hassan Hu was the fifth manager in five years. Wow. So, um, and there were some pretty quick changes with the, you know, Pellegrinos, Hughes, and then Hassan Hu was kind of half a season each. So it, it's kind of nice to get through a whole season with one manager. So that's a real positive. So, yeah, um, yeah I think things look pretty bright going forward. Oh, certainly, certainly. I think it speaks volumes because Hassan Hu has had a full season, I'm guessing now. And now um, Southampton have actually reached their highest points tally in, I think, uh, the last three seasons. They've actually got 40 points now, which is something they... It surprises me that they didn't manage that in the last few seasons as well. So um, that is something that struck me. But I actually want to go back to Alex McCarthy now, right? And I know, like you said, he displaced Angus Gunn. And like incident, incidentally, you mentioned the 9-0 uh, loss against uh, Leicester as well. How has McCarthy, because he came in after that game, how has he been in a Southampton shirt since um, that sort of, since returning in that game? Because I feel like he's a very good goalkeeper myself, but I'd love to have the insight of what you might think. Yeah, I, I always thought he's a pretty decent keeper at Crystal Palace and then yeah. um, he signed for Southampton. Gunn um, was kind of, hadn't played a lot of football he was at Manchester City, had a couple of loan spells out um, and came in and he always looked the favourite to take the, the number one shirt really, Gunn. Um, but, you know, after Gunn was dropped, uh, after that Leicester game, McCarthy came in. I'd say he's a he's a steady keeper. He's not a you know he's not 
going to do your kind of Edison kind of stuff, uh, you know, come out dribbling like a sweeper. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and anyone watching the Arsenal game would probably say he should never try that sort of stuff after what he oh, did yeah. with, uh, with Nketiah. Um, but he, um, looking at other things outside of um, the games, you know, on his social media, he was, he was doing a lot of work during um, lockdown. Um, just seems like a really solid professional and uh, sort of guy that Ralph can depend on. And um, in terms of his shot stopping, he's been fantastic. Um, yeah. And the club has stuck with him and Ralph has stuck with him. Even after the Arsenal game, there were calls straight away from, um, you know, some of the fans to bring Gunn in. Uh, they stuck with uh, McCarthy, had a good game at Watford, a brilliant game at Manchester City, another decent game at Everton. So, um, yeah, he's a hard worker. He's an honest player and um, he's a very decent Premier League goalkeeper. Yeah, it's, it's good to hear. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy to see him doing well because I remember when he burst on the scene against Norwich, um, not against Norwich, against Liverpool in, uh, for Reading in 2013 and he made, I think, uh, it was a record, uh, it was double figures, I'm, I'm guessing about 12 saves or something like that in that Liverpool game and I thought this is a goalkeeper to keep an eye on and I think he, he was sort of in and around the England squad at, at points in his career as well so to see him back to that sort of level right now it is something that I'm really really happy to see yeah I know there's been a bit of a commotion though at Southampton it hasn't been an easy season you mentioned line nil as well but I know that Hoiberg has been uh, stripped as captain as well which again he's a good player but I think it's because of yeah I'm guessing you can disclose more about that yeah, a lot of um, a lot of comments started coming out from uh, Hoiberg just around the time when the Premier League was going to come back, yeah, um, he suddenly it came out that he'd uh, he'd mentioned that he wanted to go to a club to win trophies, and that that wasn't going to be Southampton. That wasn't possible with that. So he needed to uh, take a step up. Yeah. He's obviously he's a player who's played uh, within a high level club. He came from Bayern Munich, so he's played at a high level. He played under uh, Pep at Bayern Munich, so he knows what a big club mentality is like. Yeah. And to be fair, he's the fans have um, really took to him at Southampton. He took on the captaincy. Again, he's not a he's not a, a spectacular player, but he does the things that a central midfielder need to do. He works hard. He wins the ball. Um, plays decent, sensible passes. Pops up with a goal here and there, and he's a decent captain. But when he came out and said that, um, I think again it was around the time when Hassan Hootall um, got his contract, um, his new contract for four years. I think fans wanted to see something decisive, either that Hoiberg was going, you know, maybe the club had uh, accepted a big bid for him. Tottenham were the team we were, uh, the ones who were mentioned in the forefront of this. Um, but Hassan Hüttel did do something decisive. He came straight in and said, I can't have a player who is within the last year's contract and is obviously looking to leave the club, taking the club forwards as a captain. So I'm stepping him down. He's still part of my squad. I think he played in the next game or two um, anyway because he was picked on merit as a midfielder, but he then brought James Ward-Prowse in as the captain. So really good management. Hoiberg is still in the performances when he's come on the substitute as well. And in the games that he played, he still put, he still put the effort in. Hands over from the manager's side as well. Um, but I think people are really just expecting it's a matter of time before the club Except the right type of money for Hoybe. Wow. And um, but I also took about like, the player that replaced him as captain as well, James Ward Pass. I know he's come through <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, he's come through the academy as well. And he's a local boy, he's not quite Southampton, he's um just down the road. I'm not gonna mention that club, but mm. and that sort of city. But 
Uh, talk to you about James Will Prowse about how he's performing in the Southampton shirt and what it means to have him as captain. The dark side, as we call it. The yeah. dark side, yeah. <laughs> how does it feel like to have him as captain? Yeah, Will Prowse, um, he came through as a as a youngster. He played, I remember him playing an FA Cup game um, probably going back seven, eight years ago at Coventry. Did well. Uh, I think he scored a goal in that game. Um, and he was a bit part player, spent a lot of time on the bench. He was almost um, a set-piece specialist. He was kind of like Southampton's David Beckham. He'd come off the bench, he'd swing in a fantastic corner or he'd put in a brilliant free kick or two. Yeah. And he was renowned for his set-pieces. But whether he was quite up to you know top-level Premier League players, um, the jury was still out. But in the last season or so, especially this season, He's really put in the hard yards yeah. and he's making things happen now. And he's started to score goals along the way as well. And um, I think home crowd always love to see um, a home product come through. Um, and yeah, he came into the academy as a, as a young lad and came all the way through um, the age groups and, and with high hopes. And it's taken a little bit longer than expected. But um, when the position was starting to look a bit unsteady with Hoybier in the captaincy... Uh, a couple of names were put forward, uh, mainly um, through the fans, through social media. Jack Stevens was mentioned as a possible captain. Yeah. James Ward Prowse in the centre of midfield had really um, won the right to that captaincy with his uh, performances this season. Ironically, alongside Hoybier, um, but he, you know he's taken that on and he's played yeah. as a captain. I think it's been the first season that he's played as a leader. You need more than one leader in your team. You've got a captain, but you need more than one leader. That's what all managers say. Yeah. And um, he's really stepped up to the plate with that. And he's a real worthy captain of that side. And it, uh, an added bonus, I think, Joe, is when you've got the club at heart as well. He's He may have come from, you know, the other end of the motorway in Hampshire to um, Southampton, but he bleeds red and white. If you cut oh, him open, yeah. he does now bleed red and white. Yeah. You know, he spent enough time at the club and he's, he's uh, taken the club to heart. And I think that means a lot to the fans. And um, yeah. that was a really good decision. And I think that's pushed him on even more as a player. And yeah. I, I no doubt that he can push himself back into the England reckoning along the way as well. He, yeah. he keeps going the way he is. That is absolutely fantastic. Man. You always wish goodwill onto someone that has moved through the academy as well. You, um, having been a long time Southampton fan, I've seen him rise through the ranks for him to come into now that position of being an integral part of that Southampton team. I'm guessing it's a big source of pride for you as well then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, seen too many players come into that position and then move on, you know, for big fees. Yeah. Um, it's almost like he, he didn't get himself far enough forward to attract that attention. Yeah. Uh, two or three years for Prowse, but now he's got himself in a good position, but he's been given the captaincy. Yeah. You know, and he's on a decent you know, length of contract as well. So he's worked himself in a really good position. You know, he's in his mid 20s now. He's, you know, he's still a young man, really. He's got plenty of time on his side. But I think if he looks around where he is, the position he's in, he's a, the captain of a, a Premier League club that's looking to push into you know mid mid table and and upwards under a manager who's signed a uh, you know a longer term contract as well. I think he'd be pretty happy with his lot. And um, yeah, he's a he is a, an academy graduate. And as I say, there's too many who've come through yeah. and moved on. Um, not always the grass has not always been as green as they've thought when they've moved on. You know, we've had the superstars move on. You know. Gareth Bale springs the mind, of course. You know, Luke Shaw, Lalana, Oxlade Chamberlain, you can reel them off. You know, if we still had them, who knows where we'd be. But um but War Prowse at the moment, I think if he looks at where he is in that position, 
um, as captain of a of a decent established Premier League club, I don't think he'd have too many complaints at the moment, and the fans are pretty happy with that. Oh, certainly. And um, speaking about Southampton's fabled academy as well, like you said, you mentioned the list of graduates, right? In recent years, I'm not too sure, uh, you could correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like the the pool of talent has maybe sort of dried up into the, the how they've been embedded into the first team as well, right? Um, is it something that you've recognised is like um, been a change of policy in Southampton to the youth policy, or is it a case of there might be a next generation coming through? It's just sort of there's a bit of a gap between the last generation of um, graduates and the next generation now. I think um, if you go back to the times, probably Cumin kind of era about five years ago, but yeah. prior to that, when um, there was a an influx of academy graduates. So you had Luke Shaw, you had Delaney, you had Callum Chambers, who um, obviously went on to Arsenal. <clears throat> um, and then big name players were coming in as well. Um, kind of Mane coming in. We had Aldevero for a season two. Wanyama yeah. was at the club. Van Dijk. Schneiderlin. Schneiderlin. Yeah. Um, they were filling up those slots. And I know that um, it was kind of quite widespread that Ronald Koeman wasn't too impressed with the flow of players coming through from the academy. Yeah. But there was a little bit of a bottleneck as well getting there because they'd get to the fringes or you'd get them onto the bench. But the, the quality of the side above them, it was a massive step to take. Whereas yeah. now the club had dropped back a little bit and, and were kind of forced to bring through, you know, move on the likes of Ward Prowse, Jack Stephen as well as coming through from the academy. Um, and having seen the under-18s and under-23s myself um, for Opta over the last uh, season or two, <clears throat> you've seen the players come through last season. And when um, Hassan Hootel came in, he, he's got a track record of bringing young players through. Yeah. And he started to bring through um, players now who are regulars in the, in the if not the 11, but the, the match day 18 or 20 as it is now. You know, Will Smallbone, uh, Michael Abafemi, uh, Jan Valery, uh, Nathan Teller has come in. He'd never had a sniff of the first team before post-lockdown Teller. And you've got other players. Uh, there's uh, Vokin, Callum Slattery, Kane Ramsey, Josh Sims, who had a look in over the last year or so under Asenhul. So it almost feels like it has been freed up that pathway through. Yeah. And uh, and those teams at under 18, under 23 level have started to perform um, to a good level, a, a better level over those last couple of seasons. Yeah. And even the last couple of games, if you look at the bench, there's a few names that will be unknown to um, other Premier League fans, but... You know, to someone like me who sees a lot of under-18, under-23 football, the likes of Will Ferry, um, Alex Jankovic, you know, they've been bubbling under the surface and they're getting a chance now. And, um, you know, I've, I've no doubt uh, that they will, they will take their chance. They will be given their chance by Ralph. They yeah. will get, be given a decent chance to, to show what they're worth. So uh, I think yeah. things are, have started to turn around uh, with the academy. There was a, a bit of a change at the top. Uh, Les Reed went a little while ago. He was... Had quite a lot of power, and some people thought it was a little bit too much power for one man at the top of the club directing um, operations in terms of recruitment um, and the academy. But they brought a guy back in who'd been there in almost the glory days, um, going back 10 years or so. Matt Crocker, yeah. who was at Southampton, went off to the FA. I think he took on Dan Ashworth's job at the FA. Oh, director um, of football, yeah. Yeah, and then he yeah. came back, Southampton took him back. So he's now back in charge, and I think he's got. There's a clear relationship between him, the lower reaches of the academy, and Ralph at the top yeah. of the um, of the playing tree to move these players through and give them the chance if they're if they're showing their worth. 
I think it's brilliant to have that harmony, like you mentioned. It's nice to have that insight as to sort of what's been going on to really help the two between the academy and the first team really sort of come together, especially when you have a, a coach that's willing to play the youngsters as well. I think that's really, really brilliant to to come across in the encounter. And I guess the youngsters will be very, very encouraged to know that you could put in the work and there'll be a pathway for you to to really benefit from. But um, one of the final questions I have to ask, like you, you sort of alluded to it, you mentioned Les Reed departing and uh, Matt Crozier coming back in now. And I know that Southampton, uh, some people might be aware of the famous black box that they use sort of in terms of their recruitment as well. So I wanted to sort of ask, do you have any idea sort of the insight as sort of how recruitment has gone in the last few years and how they've worked that around? Is the black box still in place now or is it something now where they're looking at different aspects of ways to bring in new talent uh, to Southampton? I'm not aware that the black box is gone. I think yeah. it's still there. And I think Hassan Hall seems to be the type of manager who will be open to that sort of approach. Yeah. Um, the talk of when things were big with the black box of, you know, when Southampton were bringing in these players like Van Dyke, you know, bringing in Van Dyke at 11 or 12 million pounds, which seems ridiculous to then sell him on at 75 million. Yeah. Um, is amazing recruitment. And it's amazing business sense. Uh, whether they keep that model in terms of bringing in players low and then selling them high is um, probably something that fans don't want to see. They want players to come in, develop, and then move forward. What's yeah. quite interesting, um, just looking at, thinking about recruitment, Joe, is that three of the biggest um, signings over the last two or three years, you've got Mario Lamina, Guido Carrillo, who many yeah. people have never heard of, never scored a league goal for Southampton, uh, um, came in at £19 million, pounds, and uh, Mohamed Elianusi who all been out on loan. Uh, Lamina at Galatasaray. Carrillo's been over, at, um, over in Spain. Elianusi looks like he's going to go back to Celtic for another season. They all came in as part of that recruitment drive to keep building that team up. Yeah. But it never quite worked for them. There were managers moving in and out while the thing was going on. So I think there's probably a combination of Ralph's ideas now and the black box type of thinking as well in terms of all the talk was that Southampton, their recruitment were three managers ahead. So if this manager came and then he went, they knew he was coming in next after that. They were playing yeah. that far ahead. Wow. Maybe they've kind of reined that in a bit and said to Ralph, you know, how do you want to run it? We've got this system in place and in kind of balance the two. Because one of his, as well as, you know, making decisive decisions like dropping uh, Hoybeer from the captaincy and giving it to War Prowse, you, you could see behind the scenes, you had the likes of Fraser Forster was put out on loan, Lamina out on loan, Carrillo, Elianusi big wage earners yeah. weren't going to play. Let's keep them ticking over in you know a decent level of football somewhere else. So yeah. um, I think it's probably a bit of a balance behind the scenes. I think maybe with Les Reed, there was a feeling that things, they got a little bit complacent with his recruitment style. And when it didn't start, when it started to stall a little bit, then um, they didn't really know where to turn. And that's where the panic went a bit with the managers coming in and out of the door, a bit of a revolving door policy. But now with Haston, who oh, they've tried to, pin it down and then think we need to keep things steady to move it forward. So I think black boxes probably be there still because that's the modern way that football's done. You know, you have people watching games from all around the world and picking up your, you know, your potential next 5, 10, 15 players that you're going to look at signing. But yeah. I'm sure Ralph has the overall say on this is the type of player I want in my system to move us forward. Definitely. I think it's really been great to hear that. I guess I've got the last two questions now. I'd love to talk to you about ages, for ages about Southampton, but I've got the last two questions. Uh, first one is about a certain uh, Mr. Danny Ings. He's um, blessed of the Saints with 19 league goals this season. 
and I'm sure you've been thrilled to see your boy for Southampton come and take the, take the league by storm. What do you reckon has been responsible for his goal glut in this season? Yeah, just talk about Danny. Man. Let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk Danny. Yeah. Danny Scott. Um, <clears throat> he came in, obviously, he came in on loan initially um, in 2018 19 yeah. in the January with a view to join for about £20 million pounds from Liverpool. Um, yeah, local boy. He was, he was born um, locally, uh, started at Bournemouth. He was rejected by Southampton as a youngster. You know, these things happen, but I think it shows a lot of character to come back from that sort of disappointment, to be rejected by your hometown club um, early on. And then to come back, he started at Bournemouth, built his way up through the leagues, had a, a decent move to Burnley, and then got a massive move to Liverpool. And really, when you, you hear people talk about his time at Liverpool, he didn't do anything wrong, really. He just kept getting horrible injuries. injuries. Yeah, yeah. He had a horrible record of injuries. But again, I think it just shows the measure of him as a man, as a professional, that he keeps coming back and he's coming back stronger. I mean, he, he got into yeah. the England squad as a Liverpool player and got his only cap and then got injured again. Um, I think when there was talk of him coming to Southampton, um, so we're talking 18 months, two years ago now, uh, there was a lot, a lot of people were passionate about that. In the same way as we were talking about players coming through th- from the academy, it's like, you know, a hometown boy finally coming home. Yeah. And you could see by the sort of stuff that was coming out from Danny Ings, you know, every interview when Southampton was talking, he couldn't stop smiling. That was, it was like they signed him as a seven-year-old, not as a, you know, a guy in his mid-twenties. Yeah. So um, he's so passionate. Uh, he's got a great attitude. You see loads of stuff. Southampton, um, their media section have got it just right. They put out so much stuff about the type of um, tricks and uh, larks he gets up to in training, you know, because he... He clearly just loves playing for the club. And yeah. he says, you know, I was a kid who was on those in those stands supporting this team. Um, and I think for him, he's had the big move. He's probably made the money. He's, he's had a taste of England. No doubt, you know, if, if the Euros was on now, um, I, I think if you look at the Premier League now, if you pick the England team now, there's, a st- there's one goalkeeper and one striker you'd pick, and that'd be Nick Pope and Danny Ings. They'd be yeah. absolute shoe-ins for that team. Um, and he has just, it's almost like coming back home has been rocket fuel for him. And he's just gone from strength to strength. And he's obviously under Ralph as well. He's just thought this is a guy who can drive me forward. And they've worked off each other. And he's such an unselfish player too. For a guy who's got 19 league goals, he was the first one, if you watch the footage, to go and he was all over Jay Adams when he scored the goal. You yeah. know, He doesn't care that this kid's taken the goal from him, you know, that he could get the golden boot. If you see him in on goal now and there's someone in a better space, he'll pass it. Yeah. He's not looking at the fact that he's, you know, one, two, three behind Jamie Vardy. If it's, a, if it's better for the team to pass it, he'll pass it. If he can score, he will score and he's ruthless. And yeah. he's been the season, he's been outstanding. Oh, so um, I think it's been a perfect storm for Danny Ings coming home to Southampton. And um, yeah, he's been phenomenal. Um, you know, you couldn't wish for any more for him. And, and at £20 million these days, he looks an absolute snip coming up with 19 league goals and hopefully a few more in the last four games. Yeah, because I agree more to He's a, he's a um, strong contender for the Golden Boot. But I wanted to ask uh, one more thing, right? Um, Danny Ings, I know that he, for example, he's, he's scored 19 goals. He's scored them in a variety of ways, right? And I, I heard something on match today about how his goals have come. Uh, I think he's the goal scorer that's benefited more from defenders' mistakes, right? But I wanted to ask you, especially as someone that works with Upta, um, do, are you able to sort of give us a little insight into sort of the type of chances or the type of goals that Danny scores? 
Like, have you noticed that there's a certain way that he scores goals that might be different to how, let's say, Le- Ricky Lambert scored in the past or Graziano Pella or a Charlie Austin or Manolo Gabbiadini, for example? Yeah, kind of looking back, it's in a lot of, to a lot of those players as a commentator and as an analyst, Joel. Um, and yeah, they, they are distinctly different. Uh, Charlie Austin was, you needed to put it in his range, really. He had a, a, an operating range around him, and if it was put in there, he was lethal. If it was just outside, he struggled. That kind of off-the-ball work, Danny Ings off the ball, his movement off the ball is tremendous, and he's willing to run for the ball as well and make things work. And if, if he doesn't make the chance for himself, he'll willingly make it for someone else. He's a, he's a selfish striker who's also a, a team player. It's an interesting balance, but yeah. he's got it spot on. You've got Shane Long in the team, who's the ultimate team player. That guy will run miles and miles and miles and doesn't get many goals. Yeah. But the crowd love him. And players like Danny Ings will love him too because he does so much work for him. Shay Adams as well. You know, he's run miles this season. He's got one goal so far. But I'm sure Danny Ings appreciates him in the way that, you know, when he got his goal, he ran over to him. So, yeah, Danny Ings. I mean, Ricky Lambert was a player who could... He was a talisman. I think also... In the, at the time, he came in as a £1 million player in League One, which 10 years ago was unprecedented. Um, he was a lower league striker who'd never done it at the, you know, higher than League One. Yeah. You know, he wasn't in the best shape, but he had something and he pulled the team up on the way through. Um, I mean, Gabby Adini came in. He was a, a good finisher, uh, quick, good finisher. Um, but it was just that stickability, whereas Danny Ings will keep working and he's almost... If he, if he can't get the shot in, he's quite willing to bulldoze you into submission or your goalkeeper into submission because the bulk of his goals have been he's either cutting from the left and bent one into the far corner or he's, I think, the start of the season, a uh, high percentage of his goals were closing down keepers within their own box, as you yeah. mentioned, um, and causing mistakes. And he's, he's, he's an absolute pest in that way. And that, I think that's what people really like him, really admire about him. He is a goal scorer, yeah, but he's not a goal hanger. He will work and do whatever it needs for him in the team to score those goals. So I think in terms of Lambert, Lambert could score from anywhere. He could score from outside the area. He took all the penalties. Um, he could have one in for six yards and he was an absolute powerhouse. Danny Ings is just a live wire and he will go where he needs to go to get those goals. He's got that hunger. He's playing for his hometown club. And um, I can see these last... Um, few years of his career, if he sticks around Southampton, he will just try and pile on in those goals relentlessly. And if the rest of the team chip in with some as well, and he's part of that, it'd be as, as much delight, delighted as that as he um, as he is, because at the end of the day, it's his hometown team winning games. And that, that's what he enjoys. So, yeah, I think there's there's differences with Ings. He's, he's one of those players, we've had hard-working players, we've had people who had flash-in-the-pan goal-scoring streaks, but this guy's got the lot. He's got the hard work and he's got the goal scoring, and um, and he's had a he's had a year where he stayed fit, and that's yeah. he does he's not used to that, and he's really made the most of it. So um, I think he's really proved his worth, and he's up there now with the Lamberts, with the Letiziers in the goal scoring stakes because um, he's relentless, but is also working hard for that club. Yeah, and it's, it's really brilliant to hear. I hope he really stays fit. And the last question I, I suppose I'd have to ask you now is. Um, Southampton, going forward, next few years, where do you see them? Do you see them um, where they are right now? Do you see them maybe pushing up to mid-table or maybe even back in Europe again? Where do you see Southampton going? 
I think it's easy to get carried away because you see your team going up the table. There's always yeah. there's normally we say there's kind of three parts of the table, aren't there? You can always split the table in three most of the times. You've got the top six, you've got the middle, and you've got the bottom six or seven. So um, Southampton are kind of yo-yo between that bottom six and that kind of middle league. But now you've got your young pretenders have come in and they kind of open your eyes, your Sheffield United, your Wolves who've come in and suddenly they're occupying European spots. Um, and it would be great to be back there. But I think um, the club itself <coughs> and the board and the supporters have to be really sure. You know, we've seen many clubs before chuck millions in and it's backfired. And you see the likes of Stoke and Sunderland, Middlesbrough, you know, where they are now. They're either down in League One or they're fighting relegation in the Championship. And Southampton is a club we've been there before and we don't want to go back there. I think it's it's a time to um, consolidate at the moment. I I think most fans would be pretty happy with mid around mid-table just below at the moment um, for a couple of years under Ralph and then to push on gradually. But there's, if there's, there's obviously the opportunities to get towards those European walls, and I don't think Southampton supporters would think we're too much different from those clubs. You know, we've got a decent-sized stadium, decent supporter base, and we're more established in the Premier League than any of those three clubs put together. So, um, yeah, no reason if um, if the board uh, back Ralph in the right way, um, they manage the the flow through from the academy that we've mentioned and uh, just make some sensible decisions and the fans stay patient that, um, yeah, I'd say across that length of Ralph's contract, so that's encountering, you know, well, it's only three or four years ago that we were knocking on his door. So no, um, I don't, I don't think he'd be too hasty and say, yeah, we'll be knocking on that door next season. If it comes the opportunity, take it. But I think, just gradually work, build on what you're doing at the moment. It's a good foundation and keep building, Ralph. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, and Chris, um, one small, final small question. Score prediction for tomorrow? Oh, <clears throat> heart against head. I've got, the, I've got the form down in front of me, Joel. Uh, Man United have won 1-4, drawn 1 since post-lockdown. Southampton won 3, drawn 1, lost 1. So not too much in it. Um, I, I think that, obviously, you know, we've beaten Manchester City. Um, I... Kind of thinking, I'm kind of thinking one all. One all. I think we'll have to score. Yeah. But I think that defence, if they're on form, you know, they can stop most things. So um, I'll, I'll go one one to run out. Uh, I'll be coming to you tomorrow if it is one one because <laughs> Rashford, Rashford, Greenwood, and Martial. If they've got the answer to stop them, mate, I'll be yeah. literally picking your brains to see what we can do to spread that yeah. knowledge across the Premier League. But I just, uh, I just yeah. throw the one 0 win against Man City back at you every time. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'll take you out your word for that. I'll take you out your word for that. But anyway, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for making the time. We meant to do this episode as soon as um, Southampton beat City, but you know what? It's fine. Uh, better late than never, isn't it? But again, thank you, Chris, for taking the time to sort of come on with us. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, guys, again, if you are listening and you enjoyed what you listened to, please take the time to listen to us or spread the word that we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Um, we're on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us at ACAF underscore podcast. 
we'll be coming with a lot more episodes in the next few weeks. So if you like what you heard uh, today, we'll be coming with a lot more to sort of bless you with in the next sort of few weeks. But again, thank you all for listening. Thank you again to Chris. A massive thank you. I know that I'm wearing blue, the Portsmouth colours, but he's, he's been managed to overlook that. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. But uh, again, guys, thank you for listening. It's been a chat about football. And we will catch you soon. Thank you and goodbye.